Hey guys, this is John. And Austin. And this is another episode of the Meatgistics Podcast. Or should it be the Meatless Podcast? Meatless Podcast. Good one. Nice. Um, so over on Austin's other side, you can probably see a bevy of uh, goods to be eaten. <laughs> We're going to get to that. But first, uh, we've got a uh, little bit that we recorded with uh, David Althoff. He is the director for commodities and marketing for the Missouri Fr or Farm Bureau. Awesome conversation. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Specifically, we talked about the use of antibiotics in beef, and it was fascinating. I thought it was great. It was good. All right, so we'll send you to that. So we've got David Althoff with us today. He is the director of commodities at the Missouri Farm Bureau, uh, marketing and commodities. Sorry about that. Um, David, tell us a little bit about your experience, how you started this or getting this position. Well, absolutely. First and foremost, John and Austin, very nice to meet you guys and, and appreciate the opportunity to, to be on the, the podcast with you. Uh, so I, as you mentioned, I'm the director of marketing commodities for Missouri Farm Bureau. I've uh, been here since April of last year. Um, my background, to give you a little uh, background about me and who I am. Uh, so I'm from central Missouri, grew up um, uh, on a diversified livestock and crop operation uh, in a small town of uh, of about 4,000 in town that's actually called California, Missouri. So um, I always add the Missouri on to the end of California because I don't want to be uh, recognized as someone from the state of California. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no uh, to disrespect anybody from the state of California. But uh, we, we here in the Midwest, um, uh, you know, really hold on to our, our rural values. And uh, so anyway, I, I got started as a young kid, very, very active and very involved in, in on the farming operation. Uh, to this day, still very active uh, and uh, part owner in our farming operation. We uh, primarily uh, have a, a stalker backgrounding operation. We background anywhere from 700, 800 head of uh, feeder cattle a year. Uh, we've also got a fall and spring cow-calf operation. So the beef industry is, is near and dear to my heart. We also row crop a little bit. We've got a small corn, soybean uh, row crop operation. So we're able to supply some of our backgrounding operation with corn that we grow on our farm. So... Farming is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm fourth generation on the location where we live now. Uh, my farming background goes beyond fourth generations uh, in, in the county that I live in. Um, I got my start several years ago in the ag industry. Obviously, uh, uh, major in agriculture in college. Uh, from there, uh, my my career path, you know, in, in addition to farming, uh, has led me to different opportunities working at the state capitol. Uh, to working for the Missouri Beef Industry Council. So the Missouri Beef Industry Council is the, the state side of the Missouri Beef Checkoff, of this, of the uh, checkoff, the, the beef checkoff. Um, worked there for many years as the chief uh, financial officer and business director of the Missouri Beef Industry Council. And from there, I went to uh, work. Uh, I, was, I was asked to join the Missouri Department of Agriculture, where I uh, served as a division director of one of five divisions within Missouri uh, Department of Agriculture. Uh, worked there for a number of years um, and then was asked uh, to join the team here at Missouri Farm Bureau as director of marketing commodities. And so uh, it's been a great opportunity. I, you know, started here in April, still learning a lot, still uh, drinking from the fire hose, uh, but uh, it's been a great experience. We are a, a large organization. Uh, we, our organization uh, encompasses 147,000 members. Uh, one of my roles that I that I work very closely with, and one of my main roles here at Missouri Farm Bureau, is I oversee uh, 
uh, our commodity committee. So um, as I mentioned in our introductory uh, before coming online, uh, we are a policy organization. So, you know, we, we advocate for farmers and ranchers. Um, and the way we advocate for farmers and ranchers, either in Jefferson City at the State House or in Washington, D.C., uh, our members drive what we what we stand for in terms of what we advocate for in terms of policy. And part of that policy development process, a big part of that policy development process that we do on an annual basis starts with our commodity committees. And we have over 13 uh, commodity committees. In Missouri, we, we have, we, we produce over 10 commodities that rank 10th or higher nationally. Uh, Missouri is a very diverse state. Uh, you know, corn, soybeans, pork, beef, uh, rice, cotton, I mean, you name it, we, we, uh, we are a leader in, in that specific commodity. And so um, we have commodity committees that represent over 13 different commodities. And so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty heavy responsibility to try to coordinate that many committees. Um, but that's how our policy development process starts. And, and uh, it's, it's a way for our members who, uh, you know, produce specific commodities, uh, have a voice in terms of what we stand for at Missouri Farm Bureau. Yeah, it's great work that you're doing and somebody has to go to DC and explain to these people, no, uh, all this farming stuff is really important. You can't just put whatever regulations sound good on a sound bite. Um, you have to pay attention to what the actual effects downstream of this is going to be. So I imagine that's uh, a large part of what you're trying to do at the, the Farm Bureau. Now, that's 147,000 members just in Missouri. Correct. That is a crazy huge number. When I think of Missouri and meat, I think of two things. Well, three things. I think of beef and pork. um, And then also, especially in southern Missouri, you guys have pretty much the perfect climate as far as humidity and temperature go in the uh, fall for dry curing sausage. So while we're only one state away, I'm very jealous over your ability to do that just naturally down there. All right. So one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on, um, I started talking to uh, a colleague of yours. I asked him some questions about antibiotics in meat, and he directed me to you as somebody who would be a little bit more knowledgeable about it. Um, we constantly, at least we think, we're constantly seeing all these negative ads about beef, pork, any meat in the, the media. Um, when we're talking about antibiotics, can you run us through what the positives of it first, and then we'll go into what the some of the stated negatives are at least? You know, absolutely, John. Um, you know, there's a lot of negativity around antibiotic use, and, and a, a lot of it is it, our myths in nature. Antibiotics are a very important tool to livestock producer, whether, whether you're a beef producer or a pork producer, uh, antibiotics are incredibly important from the standpoint of, um, animal welfare. When we livestock producers, and I, am just going to take off my farm bureau hat and put on my, um, cattleman's hat, my, my cattle producer hat. You know, when I have a sick calf, um, I'm going to treat that sick calf. It's the right thing to do. And I will share as a, a farmer and rancher, um, you know, who purchases, purchases these antibiotics, they're not cheap. In fact, they are very expensive. Um, I can, you know, I can, if 
if I could take you to my med- medicine cabinet right now in the farm shop, you know, you'd be uh, surprised at the price tag on, on a lot of the antibiotics we have um, uh, in the medical cabinet uh, at the farm shop. And we're talking anywhere from, in some cases, 10 to $15 per head when we have to give a dose of, of, uh, of antibiotics. And so, you know, for instance, in the beef, in the beef community, um, there are periods of time during the year uh, when cattle are prone to get sick. Uh, we, uh, as I mentioned, have a fall and spring cow-calf operation. When we get cattle in in the fall and spring uh, to wean calves off the cows, uh, I always like to say, you know, weaning calves is like sending the kids off to college. Um, you know, they're gonna, you know, there's gonna be some of them that are really gonna miss home, and those that miss home, uh, you know, oftentimes will get sick, and and it's the right thing to do to treat them. Now, one of the things that you hear is, well. Antibiotics, um, you know, there's there's concerns with respect to antibiotics in meat. The fact of the matter is, um, there are very specific laws as it relates to uh, antibiotic use. Uh, for us producers, we have labels that we have to follow. It's the law for us to follow those labels. There absolutely um, cannot be any residual antibiotic in an animal when we take it to slaughter or to the to the to sale. Um, there are strict laws on that. Um, in addition to that, the regulatory framework that USDA Food Safety Inspection Service um, has under their umbrella uh, is very stringent from the standpoint they, uh, through their inspection process, through the Food Safety Inspection Service, which is a branch of USDA, they are in our uh, meat processing plants and they inspect uh, all meat that go through uh, the plants to, to ensure that there is no residual whatsoever of antibiotics in, in the meat. Now, with that being said, there's still this, you know, worry out there on the street that um, even with the regulatory oversight by USDA, that there's a concern around um, antibiotic resistance in meat, right? Um, one of the things I would share is that is a very complex issue. It is not an issue that can be pinpointed to animal agriculture only. This issue involves human health. It involves uh, a lot of different factors. And there was just a recent study done in 2020 that shows actually animal agriculture has been pinpointed unfairly as it relates to uh, the antibiotic resistance issue. And so one of the things I would add to that, that uh, uh, only 40% of um, antibiotics used in animal agriculture uh, actually has a human relation in terms of, in other words, what I'm trying to say is um, 40% of the antibiotics that we use in animal agriculture um, do not have any human relation form whatsoever. They're not, they're not found in any um, human uh, antibiotic medication use in, in, in human form. So um, there's a lot of antibiotics that we use that do not have any relation at all to human forms of medicine. So, um, so it's a very complex, what I would just leave it with you as in terms of the antibiotic use and the antibiotic, uh, you know, uh, concerns that you hear from the general public is, um, they're, you know, the antibiotic, antibiotics we use in animal agriculture are very heavily regulated. We have a tremendous amount of oversight by USDA and the Food Drug Administration. And at the farm level, uh, bottom line is, you know, these things are expensive and we do not want to use them if we don't have to. But 
at the end of the day, it, it is a, a humane, animal humane, uh, you know, issue. When we have a sick animal, whether it's a sick pig or a sick uh, calf, it's the right thing to do with treat day. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that frustrates me uh, a lot about this issue with people who are always going on about animal welfare on the farms. A, I don't think any of those people have ever been to a farm and seen you know, in general, how well the animals are taken care of. But then it's, okay, do you want the animal treated? Well, to treat them, we need to use these antibiotics. Otherwise, it's going to continue to be sick. We're either going to have to slaughter it early, or it's not going to go to slaughter at all, and you're just going to have to kill it and get rid of it. So it, 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 yeah, it's frustrating to try to get uh, people to, to see that that is a choice that has to be made. And the correct choice is to treat the sick animal. Now, you said 40% of the antibiotics that you're using um, in the beef industry. Is that pretty much across beef and pork or is it really just beef? That's, so, that, so, so that's coming from a beef uh, perspective. Okay. That's beef specifically. So uh, 40% do not have any human form relation whatsoever. Um, and so uh, there's, there's a wide swath of the antibiotics that we use in the beef industry and I don't have the specific specific statistics for pork, but I would suspect that it would be very similar in the pork industry as well. A lot of the antibiotics we use um, in the beef industry, in some cases, are, are used in, in the pork industry as well. Not always, but some oftentimes that is the case. Uh, but okay. in the beef industry, forty uh, percent uh, do not have any relation whatsoever to human form antibiotics. Okay, and so. The fact that they have no relation to human ant antibiotics makes it less of a concern or maybe no concern at all um, that we're going to create antibiotic resistant strain. That's correct. Okay. Okay. That's correct. Um, now, when you were saying weaning, uh, will you, as soon as you start weaning it, do you just begin administering antibiotics or do you monitor it and then decide if it needs to be done or not? So on our farm, we monitor. So we have the opportunity. Um, so when I talk about the regulatory oversight, um, there have been changes over the last five years with some of the antibiotics that we have available to us that it requires a veterinary oversight. And so uh, we do have a feed antibiotic that we um, will utilize as a treatment mechanism. If we, for instance, if I if I have 30 head that I weaned um, that just seem like there's 15 head of those 30 head that are sluggish or slow, and I, I, I'm really worried they're, they're not eating like they should. And by the way, you know, a good nutritional diet, which all of us farmers, you know, pride ourselves with, with respect to our livestock, that's a big part of preventing uh, having to use antibiotics. But when you have cattle... And, and for instance, when, when you're going through a period of, of stressful times like weaning, oftentimes there are, you know, a handful that, you know, again, will go through a period of stress. And so uh, we might segregate, oftentimes on our operation, what we would do is we would segregate, segregate those um, specific cattle. We'll put them in their own lot, their own pen where they have, you know, a different ration that will help bring them up to a healthy standard. We'll also utilize a, a, an antibiotic treatment, which is a, a feed antibiotic uh, that we, you know, mix in with the ration. But that that treatment is um, provided, you know, in direct oversight from a, a from our 
local veterinarian that we use. So, um, in fact, uh, starting in June of this year, um, all injectable antibiotics will also be uh, in the form of prescription from uh, a, a producer's um, veterinarian. So, um, so there's another layer coming in in June. So, you know, there, the regulatory oversight of antibiotics is very, you know, very, um, uh, I would say rigid, I don't know if rigid is the right word, but there, there are um, regulatory measures in place to ensure safe use of antibiotics. And so when we think about food safety, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, precautionary measures that we have in place that are providing you know, you know, to ensure consumers have a safe product when that meat gets to the grocery store. Yeah, and we talked about this last week that, uh, so I believe it's starting in June, any animal antibiotic will require a prescription. And we talked about that sort of because I'm insane and refuse to go to a doctor. Uh, and when I was seeing everything, you know, back in 2021 or whatever, when it looked like things were going to get a lot worse than they did, I bought some amoxicillin. Um, it wasn't human amoxicillin, but in my opinion, it was better than not being able to get anything. So that has been uh, removed from my ability to do. But I'm, I'm not surprised that they're, they're getting involved uh, in that as well. Um, so really, it, it kind of sounds like there's both uh, a, a treatment, but it is also sometimes used as a per, in prevention as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, so well, again, with the oversight of, of a veterinarian through a prescription. Okay. Of the two, what would you say? And I don't, if you don't have a, a good answer, that's fine. Which would you say is the more predominantly used for pre prevention or treatment? So for us, uh, it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I mean, um, you know, when we get uh, calves in or, or on our stalker operation, we're, we're buying cattle from the stockyards that in some cases are high risk cattle. We get them into our operation. We know right away, typically the ones that go to feed are doing all right. The ones that are not going to feed typically are, are cattle that we're going to have to keep an eye on. We'll segregate those cattle, uh, put them on as uh preventative measure with the feed with the antibiotic uh, uh, sprinkled into their feed ration. Um, but sometimes, you know, it is just a matter of, of given, uh, you know, we, we identify that there's a, there's a calf that is obviously sick. It may not be sluggish. It, obviously it is sluggish, but you know, there's a difference between, on our operation and, and many beef producers, they can tell a calf that is sick and a calf, and a calf that looks like it could get sick. And the calves that look like they could get sick or are high stressed are the ones that we're going to put them on a, a preventative measure for a period of, you know, whatever the, the uh, prescription is that the veterinary provides. It could be 10 days. It could be 15 days um, versus a, a calf that you walk out to the lot first thing in the morning to feed. And obviously overnight, this thing just went backwards in a hurry. That's a calf we're going to uh, give a, a shot of injectable antibiotics to to treat right away because in some cases if it's respiratory you may have less than 24 hours to get that calf sick before it's laying laying somewhere dead oh uh, so uh it, it's a matter of, it truly is a matter of life or life or death for uh, some very sick animals and uh again it goes back to the humane thing to do is to 
you know, we, we want to treat them, them so that they can get better. Yeah, Austin's uh, brother-in-law is a, a cowboy, and we had him on a couple of years ago. And I, I want people who uh, think of farmers as these, you know, don't care, looking forward to kill or slaughtering the animal. Um, that's not true at all. The amount of care that goes into raising those animals is uh, absolutely amazing. It really is. And, and, and you know, I, I'll go back to, um, you know, we in the livestock industry, um, you know, there's there's a lot of cost that, that uh, we, in, in you know, incur over the course of an animal being born to an animal getting the market weight, whether it's, you know, feed inputs or the equipment that we have to have or whatever it might be. You know, when you think about the cost of these antibiotics, that's just another cost of production that we would rather not do if we didn't have to. And, but it is the right thing to do. Absolutely. Um, are you looking ahead? Are you worried about any antibiotic? I, I know occasionally they will go ahead and pull down some antibiotics that were previously approved. Um, I'm going to mess this up, but Clamopra phenicol. Um, being one of them, uh, that was years or a couple of years ago, at least. Um, but are you looking ahead and seeing any new regulations coming down the pipeline that people should be aware about? You know, it's something that we in the, the agriculture community continue to keep an eye on. Um, you know, these, these tools that we have in the form of antibiotics are, uh, incredibly important and, you know, some of these tools that do have a human relation, uh, a relation to antibiotic that's used in, in human form, those tools are incredibly important to us to have. And so those are the tools that that we need to continue to look at. If, if I were to answer that question today, it would be, my worry would be those tools eventually being taken away from us. And that's what we've got to continue to, you know, advocate for, um, you know, and and try to convince the public that you know this this antibiotic resistance thing is not you know this is a complex issue it's not something that can be, be pinpointed only to one specific sector it's very complex and there are many factors involved in this and so um we need to continue to educate educate the public and educate our elected leaders that um you know these are tools that are absolutely needed and and for Food security, you know, we've got to have uh, a food supply that um, is safe, which we do, and abundant. And, you know, when I think of abundancy, we are one, we are the most efficient country in the world when it comes to beef production. We produce nearly 20% of the world's beef with 8% of the world's cattle. And the reason why we're able to do that is because of the tools that we have available to us. And antibiotics is one of those tools. And so, you know, we, we start thinking about taking tools away like that, um, it will impact food security. We 20% of the beef with 8% of the cattle. Yeah, and I rounded up. It's it, Last I saw, it was actually 18%. So it's roughly 18, it's around 18 to 20%. Um, I haven't seen that statistic in in a couple of years, but uh, yes, it's 
it's nearly 20%, 18% of the world's beef from 8% of the world's cattle. Well, as far from a, a consumer standpoint, I'm certainly doing my part to eat as much beef as possible. I eat a ridiculous <laughs> amount of beef. Um, I think one of the, the important things to push when we're trying to educate people on this is that currently there's a very, very small chance of you getting any beef that has any trace of antibiotic in it. Um, I don't know how that can be done, um, but that is something I think would ease a lot of people. Because I think a lot of these people just think, oh, this animal had antibiotics, so I'm going to be eating some trace remnant of that, when that's just not true. You're exactly right, John. The the meat supply that we have available to us in the U.S. Um, is very heavily regulated. And again, USDA Food Safety Inspection Service, I, I've been through some of our big plants. In fact, I, you know, I've been through um, a Cargill plant in, in Dodge City, Kansas. I've been through several other big plants. The, you know, the USDA meat inspectors are on site. Food Safety Inspection Service is on site and they are, they are providing oversight of this. And they, you know, bad actors, there are, there are folks in the past that have been bad actors and have sent livestock to um, slaughter. And those who have been caught, they're held liable. They are, it's, it is against federal law to allow an animal that has not met its withdrawal time uh, to enter the food supply. And so it is very heavily regulated. Um, consumers can be confident in the meat that they eat that there is that, that the withdrawal levels have been met and the residuals in that meat relative to antibiotics uh, meets the fda standards that's awesome Gavin, yeah. that was absolutely great is there anything else you think people should know set set their minds at ease about some of these things or you know john i i just go back to again we, we as a United States of America, our food supply is the safest food supply in the world. Our meat supply is the safest meat supply in the world. We as an industry, the livestock industry, and I'm going to go back to the numbers again uh, because my background is in beef. Um, you know, when you think about the amount of beef that we're able to produce uh, with the number of cattle that we have globally, we are an efficient, efficient uh, food supply. Not to mention these tools, when we talk about, you know, one of the things that we hear from consumers is, is sustainability. And, and oftentimes in the meat industry, we get pointed at as being uns, unsustainable. With these, these tools, we, our, our US, U.S. agriculture contributes less than 10% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And less than 2% of that 10% is contributed from the beef industry. Less than half of that is, is animal agriculture in general. I think it's less than 4% of that 10% is animal agriculture in general. We are absolutely incredible in terms of what we're able to do in our country with respect to agriculture and with respect to our meat industry. And it's these types of tools that help us get there. And if we take these tools off the market, you know, and, and by the way, tools that are regulated, tools that are, have protocols in place to ensure safety, to ensure food safety, if we lose these tools, we will go the opposite direction as it relates to um, our ability to produce, and it will have an impact on food security. Absolutely. And anyone who doesn't want to believe that, I encourage you to look into what happened 
in the early 2000s when Denmark tried to completely cut uh, any antibiotics from their uh, hog farming. Total nightmare. So in our opinions, they absolutely have a, a part. And it was great to hear that from an industry expert such as yourself. Um, hopefully, that will help educate a lot of people. I hope so, John. Really appreciate you all inviting me on today. And uh, it's good to meet you guys. By the way, where, where are you guys from? Uh, we're Wichita, Kansas. Okay, Wichita. Awesome. Well, hey, I had a shout out for Kansas. I was in Dodge City. It's one of the plants I went through in Dodge City. And that was very educational for me to have a chance to, to do that. And uh, back in the day, whenever I was at the Missouri Beef Industry Council, I had a wonderful working relationship with the Kansas Beef Council and um, Kevin Thielen over there and, uh, in Kansas and I were you know, worked closely together. And so I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be a part of you guys' podcast today. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. And we're back. Movie magic. All right. Let's talk about it. First, Austin and I did a weight loss competition for about six weeks. The punishment changed a few times. Uh, at one point, we were going to try the Pocky no chip or one chip challenge. No chip challenge would have been easier. Um, but, you know, we're not exactly young studs anymore. So I was looking at a couple people who got sent to the hospital from that. And I was like, well, maybe we should not do that. Austin then told me, oh, good, because if that's what it was and he lost, he wasn't going to do it anyways. So we started playing around with some other ideas. Uh, we let you guys have a, a, an opinion on or a, throw out some options on it. And the one we settled on was going vegan for a week. So Austin requested uh, some time to prepare. Uh, and as you can see, he has prepared and prepared well. Uh, do you want to walk us through a little bit of what you're, you're thinking you're going to eat? Yeah, so... Um one, I needed to, I needed to make sure that I got like plenty of protein, and I know I'm not a big fan of the like meat alternatives out there. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know that I'm gonna be a fan of these. But the first thing I bought was like protein drinks, uh, Soylent, right? Protein drinks. So they're playing off the Soylent Green. Uh huh. Yeah. So there's I don't know I got like six different flavors, but I brought a couple of them here. Cafe Mocha and strawberry, 400 calories a deal. So if I can't stomach some of this other stuff, I'm hoping I can at least slam down some drinks to at least make sure I get some calories and protein in me. Because I am concerned that I'm going to lose a lot of weight this week because I'm just not going to want to eat uh, enough vegan stuff. Oh, I, if I would was, imagine. If it was just vegetarian, I could probably do this fine. But when you start going vegan, like I, I specifically bought things that are labeled as vegan. So I didn't want to just go, eh, you know, this is this is probably vegan. Um, I try I'm trying to like go as legit as I can here. Um, so as we go through, um, I will take pictures and post on Meatgistics and I'll document everything as I'm going so you guys can make fun of me each day. So um, if as you hear this on Friday, I should already have uh, two, and a, two, two and a half days of posts out on Meatgistics. So if you haven't already seen it, follow along. Um, try to Hopefully someone out there will encourage me instead of just <laughs> slamming on me because this next week's going to be rough. Send him pictures of pepperoni pizza and beef and everything else. Oh. Um, at the end of this podcast, we should weigh you. You don't have to announce it, but just to for us to see if you actually lose weight during it. Okay. All right, so what do you got next? So I got some gluten-free non-dairy burritos. That sounds terrible. Made with organic beans and that rice. That sounds so bad. Yeah. 
Um, because I am an absolute cheese fanatic. I got a couple things of dairy-free cheese because I'm going to... I hope this is good because I'm going to add cheese to everything. It's not as bad as it used to be. Early vegan cheese was truly disgusting. And then they figured out how to make it melt, and it got a little bit better. I know all this because my wife was vegetarian for a while. I got to figure out what I'm doing for bread. But I got like... So I got cheese. Why can't got, you eat regular bread? I don't know. Is, is Does regular bread have dairy in it? You put butter in it and like... Yeah, you probably do. I'm pretty sure some of the bread I've made at home times I put milk in. I know I put butter in. Okay. So, um, okay. I don't know. But nonetheless, if I don't have bread, whatever. Got my stuff for mornings. Got some Morningstar Farm sausage patties. I tried to find like crumbles and some other stuff and I don't know. Oh, uh, if I find it... I don't know if I did. If I find it, uh, I'll grab you a bag. Um, they were out of stock at the Walmart that I went to. Uh, <laughs> so, got some just eggs... Um, four folded plant eggs. That sounds delicious. Oh, no. Yeast is an animal, so you are can't you, have yeast. Are you serious? Well, I mean, it's it's alive, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think it's considered an animal, but it says bread is flour, wheat, salt, and yeast, um, a type of microscopic fungus used to help bread rise. Therefore, the simplest form of bread is vegan. Okay. So you can eat bread. Okay. So, so got- then you're not going to lose weight. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. I mean, I, I technically, so I saw, we talked about this in one of the other podcasts that I think Oreos are vegan. <laughs> so, I mean, I could, I could technically probably just go consume all my calories and Oreos, but I also don't want to feel absolutely Terrible. miserable through this. Yeah. So I'm trying to get food that I there think go. is going to be beneficial to eat. You're doing it anyways. You might as well try to yeah. get some benefit from it. Plant-based burrito bowls. Um, you specifically I told you said not to do this, do but I'm like, that. I have to. Uh, um, so, so do, I got yeah. Do you veggie see how bacon it's, strips? It's uh, it like not curls, but you see how it has waves in it. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to do that. I'm not going to do it's that. It's not going to do that. <laughs> you'll you'll get used to it, but don't just do it on a regular plate with nothing on it. Or if you overcook it by even a little bit, you won't be able to get it off the plate. No, it looks like. Uh, a dog treat, the begging strips. Yep. That's what it kind of looks like on the picture. So yep. that has me concerned. And we've all eaten those, so. This looks like one of the best things I've okay. got. Okay, let me see it. But the picture might not be that good. This it won't look, be that good. This, they look like delicious <laughs> chicken tenders. But yeah, we'll see what Those you'll there. like. The uh, other chicken tender things. Oh, the sausage you, patties. Oh, those are sausage patties? I thought that was, because I told you to get the buffalo... Uh, Morningstar one. Okay, so that's sausage. My price. favorite part of that is like, look where it says chicken. It's chick hyphen in. Yeah. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so deceptive. I got several packs of trail mix. That's excellent. Because I'm like, if if anything, I can just sit down and eat. I can eat a whole thing of this, and that's my daily calories. So I like have backup plans and taste and taste this in case this stuff just tastes absolutely horrible. You've planned it out well. I know I can eat that. Those are disgusting. These? Yes. My wife bought some. I ended up using them to try to catch catfish in our pond, and nothing wanted it. They look interesting. The problem is, like, this is this is like half a meal. Uh, there's, only, <laughs> there's only 400 calories in this, so, I mean, it's, yeah. It's but, like the challenge is to, like, can you live off the grid for a week? What food are you bringing? He's like, well, I got this random thing here, and I got to have this. And, like, it's just. It's Trying like, to keep his so calories. Yeah. vegan means you're homeless, essentially. <laughs> <for a week. laughs> 
So yeah, I I'm I'm interested in the the hot dogs. They call them smart dogs. Yeah. So we'll see how those go, but that's the one that I'm most interested in. This this is probably what I'm eating tonight for dinner. Um, it's a meatless meat lovers dairy free cheese gluten free. <laughs> you can't see it from there, but the ingredient list on that oh it's it's is long enormous. It is this long. It is half the length of this box. Yeah. Full of canola oil, terrible for you. Um, coconut, all the all the oils that cause inflammation. But it looks like that is your best option for food. It looks like a good pizza, but it also doesn't look like the cheese is melted. So I have a feeling that that's going to be one of the issues with the cheese type of things is it's not... It melts. It's not going to be right. It's just not the same. Yeah. So... But we'll see. I'm actually kind of excited to try this one. Sure. Um, the rest of them, I'm at least interested in some. I mean, I I spent a, quite a long time like picking through everything, going, what what is going to make me the most excited to eat? Because I think I'm going to want to avoid meals for the next week. Were you worried you were going to get spotted picking those out? Well, technically, I did it all online oh, okay. and, and just did it as a pickup. So there you so go. So I didn't actually have to be seen grabbing anything or doing anything. That's the right Although way I go. felt very weird in Walmart when I'm like, I'm in my truck, which is uh, uh, me in my truck. I had all my Walton's gear on mm-hmm. and I'm still like, oh, whoever brings this out, I hope they're going to look and be like, oh, a guy in a truck. Oh, he's hopefully they don't notice any of my Walton's gear. Why is he loading up on all this vegan stuff? But all right, so we will weigh you at the end of this podcast, um, and then to celebrate, because it's technically, technically it's going to be uh, six days and 23 hours, because we will get you a nice juicy steak on the be- or at the beginning of the next podcast. We can say it'll be over seven days, because I was actually going to go to Quick Trip and get something, or go to fast food somewhere and get something, uh, and today's just been a mess. I haven't, I haven't ate since like six o'clock this morning. Oh, so, okay. Uh, Technically, it's just a fast in the middle there. Well, but, that's not a bad thing either. Uh, we'll see. It, it'll be over over seven days of no meat. Okay. So. Okay. So we got that going on. Um, it will release this on social media in the next couple of days. I had Taylor pick 10 orders. Uh, we put them on the, the line, and we just ran, kind of randomly threw in a free bag of that seasoning on each one. I was going to say one of those seasonings is the Buffalo Ranch Sausage. Um, probably wouldn't work well with your trail mix, but if you want to get just like a, a whole bag, I get them from Dylan's of uh, just like mixed nuts. Pour a little bit of olive oil in there, and then pour some of that seasoning on and shake it all up. Mm, it is good. Is that like the stuff that um, you were talking about making a shaker yeah, out of? Making into oh, a shaker. Uh, uh-uh. You didn't like it? No, it's it's way too strong on celery. Oh, that's right. You way too strong. I forgot about that. Like it would be a good that. seasoning if you cut. All the celery out. Well, of it. we can't cut all of it because that's the zesty part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the gross part. Of all it. right. Then the other thing, um, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever, um, I wanted to respond to some things on Twitter, and I don't have a Twitter, so I was going to use Walton's, and I was like, well, I'm not going to tone this correctly. So I created a Meet Justics Twitter account, um, and I have been going on occasionally and just sort of like, not necessarily picking fights. But somebody said, uh, they're like, well, you know, nut milk is so much healthier for you than cow milk. And I responded, I was like, yes, 
One is made in nature and the other is made in lab. One of them is definitely more healthy for you. Uh, and then a couple other just like little shoddy things at vegans. Um, but I did compliment a vegan. She had three pancakes that looked absolutely delicious, like they were nice and fluffy. Um, so I said, credit where credit's due. Those look delicious. So trying to not be. But if you want to laugh, because it's just going to be basically as a, a not comedy, but uh, it'll be way more extreme than what Walton's would post. Check that out. Um, I can't guarantee that I'll post every day, but I will, I will do my best. Fun. So, yeah. Um, I respond, or like, you know, I didn't even tweet. I responded to tweets and stuff, but I think I did like probably somewhere around 10, seven times I got a warning about my language and tone. (laughs) And they're like, we want you to review post. We want you to post. (laughs) Like I'm saying what I'm saying. So, Okay. All right. Other than that, uh, I don't think we have anything else. Let's jump right into Meat Matters. What are you looking at? You know, uh, well, uh, I don't remember what it was now. Was it New Year's? We did confetti? Yeah. Yeah. I just looked up and there's a piece of confetti stuck in the light up there. Um, I just, this past week, uh, got most of the confetti out from under the table here. So we have a Swiffer. The, the wet Swiffer, like it's not the spray, it's the pads one. Mm-hmm. We had, I bought the XL, and then nowhere has XL pads anymore. So I've been having to use two, and like it's terrible to use. I was at the dollar store the other day. I was looking for something for my house, and I'm like, they have XLs. So I bought two of them. So this floor is probably cleaner than it's been in a long time because I've just been like, oh, yes, let's get it cleaner. <laughs> so, all right, moving on. Uh, Meat Matters. So 24 states sue Biden EPA over environmental rule targeting farmers and landowners. So we talked about this a while ago. Um, Obviously, I'm biased because I'm fairly anti-government, but we really have to get these unelected bureaucrats out of office. In my mind, something like this is the best argument against term limits. Because if you set term limits on the the elected politician, it's just the people behind the scenes who are going to retain all that power. And then Mm -hmm. you, at least if you have a elected official that you don't like, that's making policies that you disagree with, you can vote against them. You can't vote against, it's the same thing with the ATF, how they're just like, nope, those are illegal now. Like, hey, that's not how this goes. You don't get to just make up rules. You're not a lawmaker. Um, I even wrote down ATF is doing the same thing in there. (laughs) Uh, But just, a fairly interesting article. Um, then moving on, 32 second with shigalosis. Never heard of that. Had no, you? No. Okay. I was worried or wondering if that was just one of those ones. Every once in a while, I find I have an interesting or like a, a severe knowledge gap where something I clearly should know about, I've just never run into. And I was wondering if it was that. Um, but the cause of this was touching ready to eat food with bare hands. So what, like, did they never go through a basic safety course? Every once in a while, I'll get a comment from somebody who's like, you shouldn't twist those, like, link your sausage with bare hands. I'm like, no, they're going to be cooked. Like, it's fine to do it this way. If they were, like, somehow I was about to hand them out, then yes. Like, but it's fine to do this with no gloves on. Yeah. I often do put gloves on because I normally have so many like cuts and scars on my hands that I just want to 
not show those, but so wear gloves if you're touching ready-to-eat food, especially so, in a restaurant. However you pronounce that. Yeah. Shigalosis. I, I think uh, that's pretty good. Oh, I guess there's a, hold on. Oh, we're going to. We're going to turn up the volume a little bit here and see if it'll pick up. He's going to try mic. and make it say something. It gave up. Okay. It's, it's not even trying. Over. Okay. But. The, when you pull it up, the, the first thing that it says on like search engines for what it what it does, it causes fever, okay, and blood diarrhea. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I think I've, you might have a little bit of that coming in your. I've never seen something with <laughs> that in there. Yeah, that, that sounds rough. That's the. Uh one of those side effects that if they listed it in a medication commercial, I'd be like, yeah, no, that, that just needs to be pulled. Okay. This has nothing to do with meat processing, but it is unbelievable to me. Don't look at, don't look at uh, OneNote. The longest shot from a sniper on a confirmed kill was just made. Take a guess at what the distance was. Oh, uh, two and a half miles. Oh, you saw it. Nope. No, yeah, it was, it was 2.2 miles. Nice. So um, I've, I've read up a bunch on it, and the four big things that come into it are distance, wind, atmospheric conditions, and speed of the Earth rotation based on their latitude. Now, everything I read, most of the people were saying, great shot by the, the sniper, but if you're a military sniper, you know how to hold the target. It was really what the impressive part was, was the spotter. Because the wind will change directions numerous times in that two and a half miles. He had to be able to calculate that and like take in atmospheric conditions, everything, and tell him exactly like how many, you know, inches high and right or left to aim. That's incredible. What I, I'd be interested to know how that works. Do you, are, are, are you just making adjustments on your scope to basically point that differently so you're still looking at the target you're trying to shoot? Or are you, like, looking off? Like That's interesting because I saw um, a video of it, and the guy was in the scope, but maybe what I was seeing wasn't actually, like, the shot. But it looked like they, you know, uh, dead on, and they went up and to the left, like, or right maybe. I can't remember which but didn't seem like it was far. Hmm. It seemed like they were like a couple inches away. So it's weird. Yeah, at that distance, that little amount probably was way more, but still incredible shot. Absolutely amazing. Um, Walmart $2 eggs spark concerns and questions. This is from uh, Newsweek. And my comment in it was that's the free market at work. So it's one local Walmart and they're like, we have $2 dozen eggs. And everybody around them started freaking out because they're like, well, everyone's going to go to you now. It's like, yes, that's how it works. They're putting something at a lower price to get business away from you. How do you respond? You're going to have to lower your price. And speaking on like just all a year ago or so when everybody was all concerned about the meat plants burning down, we did an entire segment where I did a really – fairly deep amount of research into it. And I came to the conclusion that, no, um, this is deferred maintenance because of COVID and lack of uh, skilled workers to do maintenance, people being overworked, and just people not paying enough attention or caring enough. I'm not sure I agree with myself anymore. 
when you look at like the train derailments in the last couple of weeks, you look at these fires that are mysteriously breaking out. You had the one in Florida. You had a timber yard in New York City that burned like unbelievable amounts. And then we just had uh, one in Chicago, a steel mill catch fire. I mean, at some point, you have to ask yourself, if I was a, a country outside of the U.S. and I wanted to disrupt us to keep us from being able to interfere other places, this is the type of stuff. Are we under attack? Nah, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I'm 358 not- on 222-2023, John Trimley calls it. No, I would doubt it. It just lots of bad things happen in general. I don't think yeah. it's. I don't think there's a coordinated effort behind something. It's well, just, there is on the power station attacks for sure. Think so? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, people are shooting at them. It's not like trees keep falling down onto them. People are going out and attacking them. Well, yeah, but is it like a yeah a force behind it that's yeah. pushing everyone, or is it just? Someone did it, and someone else is like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to try that. Copycat? Yeah. Could be. Could be. But uh, we'll save diving deeper into that when your dad's over in Europe (laughs) so that he can't get to me. All right. Um, We've just seen an exceptional once-in-a-millennium space explosion. Um, How does this make me matter? Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Uh, I only find this funny because the light pushed out by it isn't behaving as they expect from a huge gamma ray explosion. So instead of saying, well, looks like we don't understand how light waves move through space, they start talking about like peculiarities and like, oh, this was, you know, a one-off exception. No, just admit you don't understand what's going on and everything you've based physics on for the last couple hundred years has probably been wrong. People have been wrong before. It doesn't matter what it is or what industry or what area of science like we're talking about. Like, in my opinion, a lot of it is all just people's best guess because 100 years from now, there's going to be something that people learn that is totally different that just totally destroys what we're doing now. But, you know, we made our best guess as to what to do here. Yep. Um, It's just how it works. Yeah. They're going to look back at us in 100 years and go, they really thought the Megalodon was extinct. And the entire time it was in the Marianas Trench. Um, So I also brought this up because Patrick and I, we used to have a a girl who worked here, and she previously worked for NASA. And we would always taunt her because all, like, the space pictures, they're all art. You know, they're not – that's not really what it looks like. She would get so mad. (laughs) Like, no, 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 NASA is lying. Um, All right. So early herd rebuilding could happen through the uh, bread cow market. And for whatever reason, that took me out of there. Okay. The USDA cattle inventory report showed a 4% reduction in beef cow, a 6% reduction in heifers held back for retention, and a 5% reduction in heifers expected to calve this season. Um, But there could be some good news on the horizon. We talked about this a little bit last week, um, but there will be producers who have feed resources and believe profits are to be had in 2023 and 2024. The quickest way for these producers to increase the feeder cattle supply is through the addition of bred cows or bred heifers. Bred heifers receive a premium over bred cows. For example, 
the price ratio of bred heifers to bred cows has averaged 2.5 over the last five years. In other words, bred heifers on average are 2.5 more expensive than bred cows. I don't know enough about the, the way a cattle moves through the entire I don't know, food industry and ends up on our plate. And I really do need to understand it better. Because if you had asked me three years ago, I'd just be like, yeah, no, there's, you know, cows, there's different breeds of cows, but pretty much, you know, a cow is a cow and I'm going to eat a ribeye or strip steak from any of them. But that's not the way it works at all. We might need to have your brother back on or brother-in-law back on. Yeah. And have somebody who can walk us through a little bit more um, of that. We should, we should, we should kind of pull that all together because neither you or I are really a super great expert on fresh meat either. Um, get, get some more to kind of fill that whole story in because we can fill in the story great. Like some fresh meat to cured meat, making some sort of process, further processed product out of it. <clears throat> but that very beginning part, um, yeah. I'd have a lot of questions there. It'd be interesting. We'd get some better answers on. Do you know, and you rough estimate is fine. Do you know what percentage of our commercial customers used boxed beef? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a lot, a lot, a lot, um, like 80% a lot, 90% a lot. I'd hate, I'd hate to put an okay. exact number on it, fine. but the reason a lot of the small processors out there still use boxed beef of some sort is because um, if you're trying, if you're selling, to, if you're selling to the public, it depends on what you, it depends on what you're doing. But if you're selling to the public, you're prob if you're if you are doing harvest yourself, you are not going to be able to harvest twenty cattle a week and perfectly split that up to sell to your end consumer exactly what they want. They're they're going to want more ground beef no. or more ribeyes or more of something that then you don't have. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of a give and take. If it's someone that's doing only custom processing, I mean, they're not bringing in box beef because they're only doing custom. Um, but, I mean, there's also people out there that don't do any harvesting themselves and everything is brought in. Right. So it, it kind of depends on... on what that small processor is doing, what is, what is their, what's their niche in the market? Um, cause there, I mean, there's some people that literally do everything from A to Z. Um, but a lot of times people don't. Um, and so it's, it's just going to depend and vary, but a lot of people use box beef. So if I open John's, uh, deli, whatever, and I bring in boxed beef, that box beef has come from a USDA inspected plant. So I am then good to sell that to the public, right? I just have mm -hmm. a health inspector. I don't need a USDA inspector at that point. No, no USDA inspector. Um, yeah, should just be health inspector. That should, should be all that you have to have. should buy. I mean, there's Prost. Have you ever been to Prost in Wichita? It's a German sausage company, mm -hmm. but I don't like their sausage. We should open a, a shop that's just... We bring in boxed beef and lunch and dinner once a month or once a week. Serve sausage. Yeah. Technically, we could sell meat if we brought in, yeah, boxed beef that was USDA inspected with 
what we do here at our facilities and what we have, we could turn around, turn it into something and sell it. Um, We don't because we just don't want to deal with that. Um, But that's also part of how we get around um, what we do with giving stuff away at times. Um, We're actually... um, Is because we bring it in... Like we buy it from USDA, USDA inspector. We're bringing it in. We um, we are not USDA inspected, but we do have right. Um, but the places that we're buying it from, like yeah. where that was slaughtered, it was USDA. We inspected. still have some level of inspection, but not from the USDA. Right, it's just from state of Kansas local um, health inspector. Yeah, which is what we would deal with if we bought like a, a restaurant. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so um, we're actually we're doing a fundraiser here for um, Fairmont Coffee Company. I think is their actual name. Um, they're over by Wichita State University. Um, it's a outreach program um, for area Lutheran churches. Um, goal is get people to come in with coffee and then have it be a Christian environment and try to witness to people. Yeah. Um, but to help them raise money, they're going to do a deal. I guess you know, but you you yeah. should be involved in all this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I volunteered to help. Okay, we're gonna. They're going to quote unquote sell. Uh, at, they're going to ask for donations, um, and people that donate can then pick their brat flavors that they want, and we're going to make a ton of brats and give them out for free. Yep. So, And we're going to have help doing that from them so they can stand up against the wall until it's time to clean, and then we can all walk <laughs> out. Like, that's how making sausage should be. Yeah. Uh, should be all the fun with none of the cleaning. Maybe some of that, but someone, someone even, if we ha- even if we have them do a lot of cleaning, there's going to have to be multiple of us that are involved because do you really trust someone right. who doesn't know what they're yeah, doing yeah, yeah. to clean every nook and cranny of everything? Fair point, fair point. All right, identical twins go on separate vegan and meat diets to see what difference it makes to their bodies. So one of the identical twin went vegan and one eats meat and cheese diet. Though it just said that, it didn't say what other stuff he was eating as well. I'm assuming it wasn't just meat and cheese. Um, but the vegan one dropped four pounds and 1% of body weight during a 12-week study. That's a reasonable amount. I mean, that's not too much. The 1% body fat is totally doable through any other means. Um, the one who ate regular went from 13 to 15% body fat and added 10 pounds of muscle. That's impossible. There is no... Unless he has the genetics of a Ronnie Coleman or a Flex Wheeler, he did not add 10 pounds of muscle in 12 weeks. That's not happening. It'd be pretty hard to do. In general, I think at best you're going to add, what, a pound to a pound and a half? And that pound and a half is like the outer limit. So either he's doing steroids, which, sure, whatever, but there was a picture along with this, and that guy didn't look like he was doing steroids, or they're just throwing out numbers for some unknown reason. I had to, the first, the thing that got me going on getting into my Meet Justics Twitter this morning was I, one of the first things I do as soon as I sit down is I open News Google, news.google, and I look through, see if there's any industry or in, interesting news stories that we should talk about for the podcast. When I'm done with that, in that search bar, I type Great White Shark, <laughs> so I can keep up on all the shark news. And I saw one, I clicked on it, and down in the bottom, he's like, it had a, a shark's tooth, or a shark, great white shark, whose teeth commonly grow, or commonly are seven inches in length. I'm like, well, that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I can't let this stand. I have to contact this 
uh, author. So I looked at the bottom and there was uh, Facebook, Twitter, or like something else. And I'm like, nope, Twitter. So I logged in in the Meatjustics Twitter account and the first tweet I think we've ever sent is like, hey, there's, you're thinking of a Megalodon, there is no great white shark with seven inch teeth. So a That's little bit of, of backstory. So I don't know if you know, but that is the article that linked to. I was very confused when you started talking about it because that's the article that was linked on the no <laughs> the one you're just talking about. No, so, yeah, I don't know if we can or should talk about that on air, but there inside joke for that us. That is actually what it. Interesting. No, that's not the article I meant to talk about. Obviously, I imagine you were shocked when that came up. That's not quite as bad as my. Um, what was it called, Patrick? The baskets? Self-care? Wellness baskets. It's not as bad as the wellness baskets story, but it's not great. All right. Last story for the day. Shark attacked by dog after it jumps into the sea directly onto 12-foot hammerhead shark. That's the best story I've ever heard of. If <laughs> my dog attacked a shark, I would never shut up about it. I would start every conversation with, hi, I'm John Tremblay. This is Brutus. He attacked a shark. I would have to fire you because I'd get so sick of hearing your story <laughs> five times a day. But it does. It jumps right onto the shark from the beach and there's goes at it. Oh, there's video a video of it? Oh, there's a video. Oh, that's amazing. And you can see the, the people on the, I guess they're on a boat, like, oh, my God, what is going on? But no, dog swims back to the shore and is totally fine at the end of it. That's crazy. That's awesome. Favorite story of all time. So are we going, going to eat shark on a will barbecue, we have it. Yeah. You have shark. I have shark. Okay. What kind? What kind of shark do we know? And it's probably either mako or blue. Would be my okay. guess. Those are the two that. So I, we're not like eating great white shark. No. Did you? You did hear about? Yeah, we talked about it. The Chinese TikToker who yeah, got a yeah, two thousand yeah. dollar fine for that. So, she's a hero as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, all right. We got anything else? Nothing else. Cool. I'm not going to hit the table today. Um, as always, remember to like, comment, subscribe. Do we do that on this, Patrick? Yeah, yeah kind of. Uh, as always, remember to like, comment, and subscribe and visit waltons.com and meatchistics.com to find everything about the meat. Thanks for watching. I'm John. And I'm Austin. And pray for me this week. <laughs> He'll be uh, check meatchistics for his posts. See you guys. Thanks for checking out the Meatchistics podcast. To shop everything about the meat, head on over to waltons.com. To get your meat processing questions answered by experts and enthusiasts alike, head on over to our online community at MeatGistics.com. Walton's, everything but the meat.